Hey, this is Quentin Moore, and I'm the pastor of the Father's House, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I hope the message inspires you, gives you faith, and lets you see that God is truly moving in your life. We hope you enjoy today's message. A whole bunch of scripture I want to read to you this morning. I am convinced that until you begin with the resurrection, you cannot understand the scriptures. That uh, you can follow Christ all you want to, read and study the story, but until you know that He has risen from the dead, the reality of the story will never come to life for you. So I believe you have to begin with understanding the resurrection. And uh, so I don't wait till Easter to talk to you about that. Well, we, we start talking about that from the beginning. I'm going to read portions of the old and some epistle and a gospel. Genesis chapter 3 verses 14. This is the third chapter of the Bible. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. And you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Say with me, the offspring of Eve will crush you. Some translation says trample you, destroy you. In other words, there's one coming from Eve. Eve was deceived and God's response to that deception is to say, from you we'll kill that thing. From you we'll kill that thing. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm going to read three or four verses here. 1 Corinthians 15, I'm reading from Paul. Verse 3, For what I have received I have passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and He appeared unto Peter and to the twelve. Paul says this is the most important thing I have to tell you, that Christ was crucified, died, buried, raised on the third day and that he was seen. Verse 12, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ, even, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For in Adam all die, but in Christ all will be made alive. Say, a made alive. made alive. Can I tell you the greatest evangelism thing that could happen in the body of Christ? Be alive. Amen. I understand why a lot of people don't want to be around you because you don't even look like you're alive. <laughs> you see, the greatest advertisement we have is when we come fully alive. When we wake up and realize that, hey, this is pretty good. That is the purpose of the gospel. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He didn't come to enhance your life. He came to give you a brand new life and to give you life abundant and life eternal and life that is full. Now, the gospel this morning. Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 23. My hour has come that the Son of Man would be glorified. Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remaineth alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, because where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him, my Father, will honor. Father, I pray this morning that just for a few moments you'll allow these lips to be used by your hand. 
that, Lord, through these clay lips would be your life and that it would free those that hear it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I just want to tell you, I always get excited when I start talking about the resurrection. For me, to be alive with Christ is something that exists in this moment and not something that's going to happen in the future. There, there's no way, I think, to live in the midst of a suffering world without knowing that the suffering has already ended and that there is a throne and a crown waiting for every one of us. And that we live through this life with the realization that Christ has already conquered death for us. And that if death has been conquered, then we have nothing left to fear. And that if He would conquer death and sin for us, how would He not so much also give us all things? I love what Peter, this confused fisherman that we see in the Scriptures as he struggles to understand what it means to be following the Christ. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And yet he didn't get it. He didn't get the idea of going to Jerusalem and being crucified. He didn't get that. He ran away. He didn't get it until Christ himself walked through a wall and appeared to him. And then I still think he was on some sort of a sliding rule. But as he progressed into his faith after the ascension of the Christ, Peter writes these words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus, who according to his abundant mercies has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ the dead. See, if you ever realize what Jesus conquered, if you ever realize that Jesus is the seed of a woman, that Jesus is the manifestation of the promise given in Genesis chapter 3. That in Genesis chapter 3 when man fell, when the snake uh, lied to us, all that. That God made a promise and that is in the resurrection of the Christ that Genesis 3 is fulfilled. That all the way from the book of Genesis that God has brought back His promise and that is that nothing shall separate me from you ever again. That nothing will keep me from you. To see the resurrection is to open your eyes, to open your mind, to move beyond the limiting beliefs that have hindered us from stepping into all that God has for us. To understand that He is not just alive and seated in a throne, but that He is in us. That He lives and moves and has His being in us, and that Christ in us is the very hope of glory, and that we are not people that just follow some sort of a doctrine, but we are people that live in a relationship with a God that is present to us this morning, that what happened here this morning is just merely the presence of God moving through us to minister to us. And that that is the norm. Unfortunately, it's not the norm for the American church. Unfortunately, it's not the norm for most Christians. But the norm is, is to allow the resurrection Christ to move through us to minister to us. Yes. To know today that we live in that resurrection reality would shatter all of the norms of this world. I, it was 1996, to be real frank with you, when I began to recognize something that I had never seen quite before. It began to revolutionize the things that were going on in my life. I began to look around and realize that people were having trouble believing God. They were having trouble believing that God would give them a promise, that God would give them a dream, that God would give them a desire, that they could look in this word and take it as true and they could put their faith on it and that God would bring healing in their life, that God would bring peace to their soul. And in 1996, I started, I'd been here about 10 years and I began to realize how many people were frustrated in their faith because they hadn't seen things come to pass the way they had desired them to come to pass. And they were traumatized in their faith 
In fact, many of them are seated at home this morning because they couldn't manipulate God to do what they thought God ought to do in the time frame when He should, should do it. And they are frustrated and they're traumatized. And so, and the truth of the matter is, is that the enemy has always been about raising suspicions about the integrity of God. The enemy has always been about crawling into our lives and raising suspicions about the goodness of God. Making accusations, did God say? Well, you would be like if you did that. And he, the accuser of the brethren, the father of all lies, comes into our lives to confuse us with these little conversations. And when he can get us confused, then we can go down paths that are detrimental to our health. And frankly, I can see that happening today where most people think, well, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. Which is kind of out of our hands. And so we get numb to the things of the world, not recognizing how important our participation in humanity truly is. But the Bible says that He is, and that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. The Bible says that it pleases God for us to have faith in Him. It pleases God for us to take Him at His word and trust Him. And I begin to recognize in my small little world that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And when you read the scriptures, you'll find out that the sower sows the word. And then you'll find out God making these statements about how uh, the word is his seed. And a seed, if you're a farmer at all, you understand that contained in that seed is a harvest. That contained in that seed is a human being. That contained in that seed is the dream that God has for you. That contained in that seed is your health and even your prosperity. That God will give you a word and that in that word, in that seed, is something that will start a process in your life that will bring to fruition everything he has ever said. And most people, for some reason, reject that word. They, they have trouble believing it to be true, that that seed planted in the womb of a child named Mary. I've still got an 11-year-old son that's trying to figure out this virgin thing. Born of a, then that must mean God is the Father. Then that means he must be born from above. This changes everything, Pops. See, to begin to understand that God wants to put a seed in your life. He wants to put a promise in your life. And he wants you to trust that promise to come to pass. He wants you to trust that word to take place in your lives. The devil believes this. Because the Bible says the enemy comes to steal what was immediately sown in your heart. How many times have you heard something, television, in church, from a friend, read it out of the Bible, and you went, oh, I want to believe that. But 10 minutes later, you were going, well, that ain't going to happen. The enemy comes immediately to steal the word that is sown in the hearts of a believer comes to confuse us. Well, but maybe God didn't say it. Well, maybe it's not for me. Maybe it's for other people, but it's not, you know, maybe that's just for preachers or for educated people or smart people or maybe that's just... See, God has always done everything by word. Let there be light. And that word, that seed that God does, it's supposed to be what we live on. 
Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the very mouth of God. Faith comes by hearing. If we hear the promises of God, it builds faith on the inside of us, and we trust the seed that God has sown inside of our souls will produce the very thing that he said it would. That my, my word is spirit and it's life. To attend to this. And not just to this, the written word, but to attend the word that is spirit, to attend to the spirit that still speaks to us and leads us and guides us. This is not some sort of formula that can be expounded in a denomination. It cannot be expounded by doctrine. It cannot be expounded by a political party or a culture. It has to be believed in because you trust in the love of God. Here's the real root of this. Most people trust in something other than God's love. They trust in their doctrine. They're certain they're right. They trust in some sort of construct of humanity. And the truth of the matter is we've been called to trust in his love above all else. To trust in the one that gives us this promise and says from you one will come and he will crush the head of the liar that lied to you and separated you from me. See, this is the way the kingdom of God works. I could take you back to the beginning where he created these plants and the seeds of those plants would fall into the ground and they would yield after their own kind. And seeds that are sown from the very heart of the love of God will bring to pass the promise and the prophetic words that he's given to us. I can remember a friend that I met once or twice He's this little pastor in South Korea, and I remember hearing him tell the story about how God gave him a dream of a desk, a chair, and a bicycle. He said, if I could only have a desk, a chair, and a bicycle, I could evangelize South Korea. So he said, every day I just thanked God for a desk, a chair, and a bicycle. And Paul Young E. Cho planted the largest church in the world at that time, somewhere around two million people. A desk, a chair, and a bicycle. What are you pregnant with? What's the dream that God's put in your heart that wakes you up and lulls you to sleep? We are called to be people that grab the word of God, the promise of God. And it so impregnates us that it causes us to apply our faith to it morning and evening, evening and morning. Peter says that he has given you exceedingly great and precious promises and that through them you participate in the very nature of God. We were designed to respond to the voice of the shepherd and hear the word that's true and receive it into us and allow that word to change us, that we become like him. To do this intentionally and on purpose is to recognize that this is the way that God has always created And that God is not a man that he should lie. Hebrews 6.18 says it's impossible for him to lie. Other places in the Bible says he never changes. In other words, the patterns and the processes, the, the systems that God uses are the same everywhere and in all time. That all the promises of God are yes and amen. Huh. So let's look at a couple of stories. I'll prove it to you. Abraham, you're going to have a son. Well, I got a nephew. No, I don't want your nephew. A few years go by, and Abraham's a little older. And again, I'm about 85, 86, and we're running out of time. So uh, uh, I'll, I'll have an affair, and I'll use, Ishmael will work, right, Lord? No, Ishmael won't work. Don't need your help. 
Now he's 99 and she's 89. And the Lord shows up and says, now's the time when we'll bring that promise to pass. Now you don't have to be a really sharp individual to understand that it's a little more, it's a little difficult for a 99 and 89 year old person to expect to get pregnant. You get it? See, God will give you a promise and then he'll remove every way for you to bring it to pass. He'll give you a promise and then he'll let you die. You'll lose yourself. He'll remove all the ways and the means of that promise coming to pass in your life except by him. Paul will later write, he considered not his own body, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb, but he was fully convinced and persuaded that God was able to bring to pass what he said. See, God will give you a promise, and then he'll wait till it feels like it's too late. And then he'll begin to work something in your life. I'm telling you, most people give up and start looking for another word, or another church, or another wife, or another drink, rather than recognizing that God gives you a promise and then waits for you to have faith in Him to bring that promise to pass. And then there's Joseph, for heaven's sakes. Joseph, this favorite son uh, of the patriarch. Favorite son. Son with a coat of many colors. And he has a dream. It's a wonderful dream for him to dream about how his mother and father and his brothers are all going to bow down before him. And so he goes and tells, sometimes you should keep some of those dreams to yourself. Instead of bragging about the fact that you had the dream, maybe keep it to yourself. FYI, God never gives dreams that scare people. I have people all the time come and say, hey, explain this dream to me. You know, God's not the author of fear. He is not the author of fear. Those are called nightmares. Listen to be real clear with you. God, those are called nightmares. And you need to throw them out. Because God will never give a dream that will put fear in His people. He may give a dream to people that are not His people that will scare the sun out of them, but He's never going to give me a That leads us to another conversation. Get saved. Uh, <laughs> Joseph, they're going to bow down. They're gonna, and it irritated even his father. You remember? Sometimes you can get a dream, a promise, or a desire from God that doesn't sit real well with those around you. That's why sometimes keep it quiet. Because sometimes when God gives you a dream, a vision, a promise, it goes against the status quo of even the culture in which you're living in, even if it is the church. And you need to be a little silent about it. But he didn't. And he goes and he tells them again, and the brothers are jealous. And you know the story, right? They go, they go dig a pit. They kill some kind of animal. They put blood all over him. They throw him in the pit. They take his coat of many colors. They make sure it's got all kinds of blood on it. And, and, and the slave traders come down and they sell him into slavery. You know, sometimes your dream can get you in more trouble than you thought. Have you ever had a dream or promise from God and all hell broke loose when you started sharing that dream? It's happened to me more than once. Everything was going great until he spoke to me. And then when he spoke to me all, see the enemy will resist you and will resist there's an enemy that's a roaring lion that'll try to keep you from accepting that word because it's just simply easier to go along and get along than it is to grab something that God has for you sells him into slavery they take him up there and Potiphar buys him Potiphar buys him and Potiphar's wife thinks he's his 
her boy toy. And he didn't want to be her boy toy. Isn't that interesting? If I can't get you by resisting you, I'll just try to entice you by... Enemy will entice you. Enemy will offer you something. If, if I can't get you by resisting you, then I'll, I'll try to accommodate you into my culture. And, well, I don't need that promise. I'll just... Am I making any sense? Why is it that we let go of the promises and the dreams that God has for us? Well, number one, there's resistance. Number two, then there's this luring thing that comes. Well, he didn't do it, remember? And he got sentenced to the prison dungeon. And he goes to the prison dungeon, and, you know, he does have this dream team. And he can interpret dreams, so he interprets a couple dreams down there, and those guys get out, but they forget all about him. You ever been forgotten in the midst of your promise? You ever felt like God gave you a promise, a word, or dream, and all hell broke loose, and then you got tempted to do this, and then they just flat forgot you? Notice how quiet it gets in here. Don't, don't agree with me too quick. Now you're just sitting there forgotten. And suddenly the Pharaoh remembers, or is told rather, that he's got this dreamer down in the dungeon. And his ability to interpret dreams and to understand brings him as the prime minister of the nation of Egypt. And he begins to facilitate the rebuilding of their infrastructure and how to save and, and move through this famine that's about to come and to prepare for all that that's happening. And that's really wisdom. And because of that famine, his patriarchal father sends his brothers to see him and they don't see him, but he recognizes them. Hmm. Theologians move anywhere from 11, 12, 13, 15 years. See, God will give you a dream, and then he will remove all the ways and means. It'll look like you're going through hell. It, it, it'll feel like you're going through hell. But listen to me. You don't ever let those things take the dream out of your heart. That's why feelings of suicide and depression come rushing in. Because you're really not that important. But the dream that God's placed in you is profound. And if the enemy can separate you from the promise and the purpose that God has for you, the enemy can slow down the development. See, God knew who Adam and Eve were. or The devil knew who Adam and Eve were. And if he could get them to doubt God, he could prolong. See, it's about that word you got from God. It's about that promise, that purpose, that calling. And the enemy wants to steal it from you. Wants to separate it from you. Wants you to doubt that you're good enough. Doubt that God's good enough. He's an accuser of the brethren. And so if he, if he can't get to you through God, he'll accuse your husband or your wife, or your friend, and make you have doubts about the people that you're living with. The church is good at this. We, we, we like to compare and contrast and mm, point fingers. And you do realize every time you do that, you're pointing at God. But see, if you can get that kind of thing going on in a family or in a church or in a nation, then you, you can shake the whole thing. You can just plant seeds of doubt and division. And Did he say, did she say, what did they do? Notice how quiet he gets in here. How about Job? 
I, I've thought about this for many years. I mean, God's just sitting there and the devil walks in and, and, and God is bragging about my son, Job. Have you seen Job? He's such a good boy. Look at him. He's so cute. Isn't he beautiful? I want to tell God, don't show my picture to nobody. <laughs> I don't need you bragging on me because I don't want. And, 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 right? Remember, and the devil goes, yeah, if you'd take your hand. I, if you'd let me do what I can do, I could make him not like you. And God goes, all right. I'll take that bet. Remember this story? All of his kids die. All of his dogs die. I mean, and then his wife comes in and says, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I have not sinned against him with my lips. Boy, let me tell you, when you get into a problem and you're having trouble holding on to the promises that God has for you. Listen, I have four adult children. God's made promises to me. You don't ever want to let go of those promises. Even, you got to just keep looking at those promises. And he got twice as much. Twice as much. I got a promise from God. I'm going to trust him. No matter what's going on, I'm going to trust him. My promise is, is that I can trust twice, two times. How many would you like to have two times of everything you lost? That'd be okay, wouldn't it? I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to do the math. At 63, let's see, twice. Man, I'd go on a lot of vacations. The pattern is the same. How about Elisha? Elisha. Elisha prays for this Shumanite woman. She has a child, and then the child dies. And Elisha's coming back through town and he's asking the Shulamite, hey, how are things going? And she, it is well. And the boy's dead. It is well. How's the boy? It's well. He's dead. I get people all the time tell me, why do you talk like that? Why don't you tell the truth? It is well. And they're going, you don't look well. It is well. You know, there's a difference between having trust in God and telling everybody every time your back hurts. I'll back up here. It is well. And Elisha comes in, goes up in the room, lays over the boy's body. Boy's alive. You know, the funny part of this story is Elisha dies. They bury him down there in South Hutch. And a few years later, there's another conflict going on, and they hadn't got time to bury their dead, so they throw them into the tomb where Elisha's at, and there was still enough anointing on the dead bones of Elisha that the boy come walking out because there was resurrection in them bones. There's resurrection in that dead old prophet. God will give a promise. He'll give a dream. He'll give a hope. He'll give a purpose. And then it'll look like that nothing is ever going to come to pass. Master, my daughter is near death. Would you come? Yes, I'll come. Who touched me? And now he wastes his time on this insignificant woman. Your daughter is dead. And the Lord turns his fear not, only believe. Risking everything he had. 
the ruler of the synagogue went to the Messiah and asked him to come and pray for his daughter. But the Lord was double-minded enough to pay attention to somebody who wasn't important. Mm, could I riff? I got news for you. God will take care of people on the wrong side of your borders. He'll take care of people on the wrong side of your politics. He'll move in churches that you thought were dead. <laughs> and the Lord says, you're not. Only believe. If you'd have been here four days sooner, I don't know why you didn't come. We texted you, and he was still breathing, and you waited two days before you showed up. Can you hear Martha? Martha is ticked. You ever been around a woman that's ticked with an attitude? I had food ready. I had your bed ready. I sent the message early enough. You could have got here. He's dead. <laughs> as if his death stood in the way of God's ability <laughs> he'll wait till he's dead and then he'll show up and you're wondering why he didn't do it last week I'm serious. In 1996, I began to watch people that I believed were faith people, but they would get ticked because God didn't do it in the amount of time that they wanted him to do it in. They'd begin to blame other people for having sin close to them, and so they'd start shunning other people because maybe it was their sin that kept my promise from coming to pass. Now, if you've been around the church long enough, you know I'm saying the truth. Or they begin to feel bad. Maybe they didn't have enough faith to bring it to pass. It had nothing to do with that. It had to do with God will never allow another human being to take credit for what he does. Ever. And man, do we live in a culture that likes to make a celebrity out of a preacher. I love being from Kansas. I love going places. And they say, where are you going back to? I said, Kansas. They say, what's there? God. <laughs> what can I say? I love Paul. I think you got the verse, Lucas, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, which has come to us in Asia. This boy had trouble. They, they, they threw him overboard. They stoned him. They filleted him. They left him for dead. Paul always had trouble. They, they tried to kill him multiple times. Literally, I've stood in the place where they beheaded the boy. They, they would go to behead him and they couldn't. How would you like to go every day to be executed and then have to come back? I mean, it's one way to get your favorite meal several times. <laughs> For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which has come to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure and above strength so that we despaired even unto life. Yes, we even had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust 
in ourselves. So you're going through hell, huh? So you got problems. Well, whoop de doo Everything you're going through, every problem, every trauma, every trial that you have is trying to get you not to trust in yourself or in man around you, but to get you to trust in the God that raises people from the dead. You need to hear this little old preacher. You've been feeling sorry for yourself and all the while God's trying to get you to lift your eyes off of yourself and out of your problem and onto the God that knows how to resurrect people when they stinketh. That's faith. That's the essence of resurrection. They'll kill me. They'll put me in a tomb. But on the third day I'll be raised again. None of them understood it. Not a one of them got it. Not a one of them could perceive the fact that God was there to keep his promise to Eve. That God was there to crush death, hell, and the grave. That God was there to destroy the accuser of the brethren, the gossiper of humanity. He was there to destroy death and separation. Wow! I am the resurrection. And the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he die, he shall live again. That is our faith. Our faith is not jump on this foot and do this and this will be good. Our faith is not some kind of formula to feel better. It's not a therapeutic deism. It's not that. It is a sellout to the God that says, if you lose your life with me, you'll never lose it. If you give everything to me, you get everything back. Listen, this isn't a little bit of this and a little bit of that. This is, you got to follow him to the cross. You got to pick up the cross. You got to get your life to be crucified on that cross. It's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the one that loves me. That's this gospel. It's not this watered down version that we're getting today. It's this gospel that asks us to follow him into death. Ask us to follow him into that bathtub and die to ourselves and be resurrected to the one that lives and reigns and is coming again. That's the message. Mm. You thought I was just going to tickle with you this morning. (laughs) Too old to play that anymore. I love what Habakkuk says. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vine, Though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. For the Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on high places. This same prophet said, and the just shall live by faith. When there looks like there is no way out, there's no deer, there's no bloom, there's no water, there's no wine, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord, for He is my God. He will save me. He has saved me. He'll continue to save me. We experience these so that we would not trust in ourselves, but trust in God. For he has delivered us, he is delivering us, 
and he shall deliver us. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message of Easter. That's the message of hope. This is not about you and I. It's about him in us. Accomplishing through us things beyond our imagination. Mm. (laughs) I'm supposed to give you three points and send you home, right? Here's the truth. Will you give your life to Christ? That's the real question. I can give you three points. I've got some good ones. But the real question this morning is will you step out of your own trauma, your own fear, your own wonderings, and just say, God, this, this is my life. I trust you with it. I trust you with it. It's not what I expected. It's not what I hoped. But I know I have your word that you'll make all things work together for my good. It's very simple. Every eye opened, every head up. I need just to give my life to him and trust in him. I'm not ashamed to say I'm one who needs to reaffirm my trust in him. I'm not afraid to come to this Easter and say, God, through the year I've struggled, but right now I'm just giving my heart back to you. Hallelujah. I'm not going to ask you to bow your head. I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm going to ask you in front of anybody and everybody sitting beside you to make that a public display and just say, Pastor, that's me. And I'm here this morning. And I'm reaffirming. I'm giving my life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Would you just stand with me this morning? Hallelujah. Just keep your hands up if you can. Lord, I've come to you. I'm asking you to forgive me when I've doubted you. Forgive me when I have feared. Forgive me for not trusting. I believe your word. I believe your promise. I receive your son. Hallelujah. Fill my heart. Flood my soul. Calm my fears. Jesus, you're my Lord. You're my Lord. You're my Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Just let your peace room. Man, if you're saying this for the first time, I want you to know Jesus is Lord. He has forgiven you. He receives you. He loves you. Hallelujah. You're what we would say are born again. Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. 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 God will give you a promise. He'll give you a word. He'll give you hope. And then it'll look like it just caves in. And then he'll stand there see if you reach out to him. Hallelujah. I stood at the grave of my father in 1985 and every dream I'd ever had was laying in that grave. I 
I wanted to die that day. I'll never forget it. December the 16th, it's cold, snowing, and the preacher wouldn't shut up. I just needed him to shut up. And I looked up. And the Lord said, your trust must be in me, just as his trust was in me. Every time you face one of those very difficult issues, you have to keep putting your trust up here. Keep putting it up here. I wish I could tell you that was the last time I had to do that. But through my journey, through my walk, it's been several times I've had to go, I have to move from here and that pain to here. Hey, I hope the message truly inspired you today. If it did, do a couple things for me. Subscribe to our show and it'll just drop right into your feed and you can stay current with all that we're doing. The second thing is, is if you've been impacted by this ministry, you can click the link right there in front of you and you can become one of our givers and that'll help us to keep spreading the gospel and the good news around the world. Everyone needs to hear the good news right now, maybe more than any other time. So God bless and I'll see you next time. Yeah.